Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's word and truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth. Now, here's the co-host of Stand Up for the Truth, David Fiorazzo. Well, hello, everybody. We are so blessed to have a very special guest with us today and a uh, new perspective on life that I really think you're going to appreciate. It will be thought-provoking. And uh, the title of today's blog is Pro-Life Except in Cases of Rape? Think Again. Since 1995, Rebecca Kiesling has been an international pro-life speaker. She is also an adoption advocate and an attorney. She's the director of Save the One and co-founder of Hope After Rape Conception. Rebecca is also a national spokeswoman for Personhood USA. She's helped pregnant rape victims all around the world to choose life for their children. And, of course, she's an attorney, a wife, a mother of five, including two adopted. And we just want to welcome Rebecca Kiesling to Stand Up for the Truth. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. We've uh, kind of been in touch a little bit throughout the years uh, via social media, email, and um, our listeners may remember who've read some of my books that I did a little section. I always write about pro-life issues. Whatever book I have, I fit something in there because it's such an important issue and uh, to my heart, and I'm sure it is to you too. But I had uh, your testimony and a little bit about your story in uh, my book, The Cost of Our Silence. And I just wanted to bring you on today and really open up the minds and maybe the eyes of some Christians and conservatives who maybe haven't gone to that extent where they are pro-life no matter what, no exceptions. And I, I just want to start out, first of all, by thanking you for coming on, but would you please share your testimony? It goes back to the 1980s, 90s, and uh, just start with your background and how your birth came to be. It's a fascinating story. My story, um, I was 18 when I learned how I was conceived. I was 19 when I met my birth mother and heard the horrible details. She had been abducted at knife point by a serial rapist in 1968. And in January 69, she went to two illegal abortions in Detroit. And I was almost aborted. She backed out only because she was afraid for her own safety. She was happy to meet me, but pro-choice when we met, and she made it clear. She said, it should have been my right. You don't know what it was like. And, I mean, obviously that hurt Mm. a lot. And she maintained that position for the next six years. So um, now, 30 years later, it's been, um, I'm going to be 50 next month, And we are both so thankful that we were both protected from abortion out of her three children. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one she has a relationship with. I'm the one who honors her. My siblings are completely estranged from her. And, um, you know, your choice can change. But you can have a live baby, a live child to enjoy a relationship with, or, you know, a child that hopefully you may see one day in heaven. Hmm. 
Um, Rebecca, you shared something very important. I don't want to skim over this because we've got a lot of people that are involved in just fighting that fight for life and legislation. Um, on your Facebook page, you've got a little video. It says, 20 years ago, I was asked the most profound question, what is your worth? As someone conceived in rape and nearly aborted, I discovered my true worth. And in an article you just recently wrote that's over at savetheone.com, it says legality matters. Can you talk about how these two are combined? Sure. Well, you know, ultimately I found my worth in Christ. Uh, he paid an infinite price for my life. That's my worth. I don't have to prove my worth. I don't have to be successful or look at my um you know, failures to determine my worth or my successes. I don't have to uh, open up my portfolio and, you know, show my investments and assets versus liabilities. You know, that that's not my worth. My worth is, is the price that was paid for my life. And, and he thought I was priceless, you know, mm-hmm. not worthless, but priceless. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I know my identity in him too, that I'm not, you know, a product of rape. I, I'm a child of God. I'm also I'm not the child of a rapist, I'm the child of a rape victim. Hmm. And I was created by God in his image for a purpose, and that purpose, just to be clear, was not to be aborted. But I had a Christian say that to me once at my church. Oh no. You know, yeah. She she was saying that she um you know, doesn't want the church talking about this issue. And we got we got to talking about abortion, and she brought up rape. And then I shared my story, and, and she was still defending abortion for rape. And I said, well, did God not create me? And she stopped to think about it, and I was like, what are you thinking about? Like, where in Scripture does it suggest that, you know, Satan creates children? <laughs> and and so she, she says, all right, I'll give you that. Oh, oh my goodness! Wow. Okay. You know how gracious. You know God thanks you. You know give give him credit for his creation. Um, and then I asked her, "Well, did God not create me for a purpose?" And she stopped to think about it, and then she said, "I just think God might create some children for the purpose of being aborted." What? This was a Christian who said that. Well, she's attending church. I mean, but like. <laughs> What a great distinction. Well, yes, there are a lot of people in churches, even Christian churches, who are not converted, who have worldly philosophies. Go ahead, Rebecca. Yeah, but, you know, in a lot of churches, this philosophy is safe. It's never challenged. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to ask you, this is Crash, and uh, I hear that you had some influence over Rick Perry when he was running for, for, for president. How did you change? Did you change his mind or what happened? Tell us the story. Well, God used me to change his heart. And I'm in the Citizens United film, The Gift of Life with Governor Mike Huckabee. And I had backstage classes to the premiere in Des Moines. Two, four presidential candidates spoke at that premiere because it was in between two presidential debates in Iowa. Of course. <laughs> and um, I shared my story with him. And ultimately, he said that he could not look me in the eyes and justify the rape exception any longer. 
And Newt Gingrich, too, the next day they both signed the personhood pledge, which was a no exceptions, no compromise pledge. Wow. But they had both been rape exception candidates. So Rick Perry told me to my face that, um, you know, he promised no more rape exceptions. And he said that he had just never put a face to the issue before, and he had never considered it from the perspective of someone like me. Newt Gingrich didn't tell me that to my face. We we went back and forth quite a bit. Um, he was struggling, you know. And But then the next day, he signed the personhood pledge after seeing the film just kind of reinforced our conversation. And um, although we spoke after the film, too, but... Yeah, I guess it, um, you know, <laughs> gnawed on his conscience, conscience, and then he publicly came out and said that it was my story and the film that changed his heart on that issue. Wow. that How cool. Um, you are also, of course, the director of Save the One, and very uh, important question on the homepage of the website, savetheone.com, are you 100% pro-life? Rebecca, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of questions through the years, um, and and you've shared your story. Um, when it comes to people who profess to be pro-life, uh, Christians, conservatives, and some of them, maybe many of them, still have that little, you know, I want to keep this exemption in accepting cases of rape. Can you give us, how can we, we don't have such a powerful story as yours, the average pro-life person, how can we respond to someone who would say, I'm almost 100% pro-life, but if someone was raped, dot, dot, dot. Well, I get Google alerts all the time, anything related to this issue. And I just had a Google alert the other day um, from a reporter in South Dakota who heard, I think he's now a Senator Brock Greenfield in South Dakota, speak at some kind of public forum, and he brought up the rape issue, and he this reporter's writing this article saying that he shared the story of Rebecca Kiesling, who is somebody who was conceived in rape. I mean, this guy didn't know me. He didn't know who I was. He didn't reach out to me. But he said after hearing Brock Greenfield share my testimony, it changed his mind mm. on abortion. So I was like, wow, how cool is that? You know, Very I mean, cool. you know, I know that that happens, but to get a chance to read it, somebody telling, um, you know, this third party telling how they heard my story secondhand and it changed their their heart. That's pretty cool. That is awesome. And I want to ask a follow-up question because some people say, and even Christians, they're, I think we're split on this issue maybe, but some say, well, we really shouldn't be involved in, quote, politics when it comes to uh, abortion, uh, you know, these, these issues of rape and abortion and the life issue. How do you respond to them? Well, first of all, I asked you, well, you ever heard of First King, Second King, Judges? Like, <laughs> you know, how about the trial of Christ? I mean, you know, it was all political. Like, oh, my goodness, the Bible is so political. You know, so to say that God's not interested in politics, mm. like, there's a, a different, definite principle that who we choose as our leaders matters, it matters and there's consequences for those yeah. choices. Um, but in... Uh, you know, our name, Save the One, you, you probably saw it at the top of our website. It comes from the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus said, see that you do not despise any of these little ones. And, you know, it's a strange thing to say. 
Um, who would despise little ones? Well, my people group are extremely despised. We're called demon seed, evil seed, global minor, rapist child. Um, mm. I, I heard rape trophy recently. People oh were goodness. coming, they were coming to my Facebook page over the weekend, like thousands. Um, apparently I got on their radar. And so they kind of pounced and I, I banned and deleted all that. But they were saying things like I should kill myself if I cared anything about my mother. I, I'm oh, you know, still perpetuating her rape. I'm tormenting her and, and I should have committed suicide a long time ago. And, you know, to, to love my life means I, I'm celebrating her rape and I'm pro-rape. And, oh, my gosh, it's just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're despised. And then he says, for I tell you, there are angels in heaven always look upon the face of my Father in heaven. And he goes right into the parable of the lost sheep and explains how the good shepherd leaves the 99 to save the one. And he finishes the parable by explaining its point. And he says that for in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Mm. And neither should we. So in context, he's talking about little ones who are despised, who are at risk of being killed. Mm. And so when you're saying that you're willing, you're, you're basically engaging in child sacrifice. You're saying, go ahead, we'll give you, um, we'll save the 99 in exchange for the one. Mm. We'll give you rape and incest. You know, we'll compromise, we'll sacrifice. That, that's child sacrifice, and wow. that's a, an abomination. It's completely contrary to the heart of God. Amen. Stand up for the truth. We're visiting with Rebecca Kiesling, and I, I wanted to make a confession here. I, I do not have a uterus, and I need to know, do I have any say in this as a Christian? Do I have <laughs> any say in this? Or do wait, I need wait, to wait. stay out of this debate? Because uh, I do not have a uterus. I have no idea. I have never been raped. I I I I, I don't man. understand healthcare. I don't I, I I don't have any morality judgment to make because I don't have a uterus. Please help me out, Rebecca Keesling. I can't call you and say, "Can you take it from here?" <laughs> I need some biblical advice here. Well, you know, nowadays you have to say, "I I have not, nor have I ever had a uterus." <laughs> so you have to clarify that. Um, you know, nowadays, right? Um. We actually have a five-state study on messaging that shows that most effective is to tell the story of a woman conceived in rape or a woman who became pregnant by rape, put a face to the issue. Um, the best argument, aside from that, is to appeal to the sense of justice, just like it says in Deuteronomy, that you are not to punish the child for the sins of the father. Mm. Each is to be punished for his own sin. Wow, that's powerful right there. Yeah, and so, um, you know, this is what I said to Governor Perry, you know, how is it that I deserve the death penalty for the crime of my biological father? We use a hashtag all the time, punish rapists, not babies. So there's a lot of different ways to, stay, to state it, you know, that this is America. We, we don't have a system of justice where you punish the innocent for someone else's crime. That's barbaric. That is powerful. Um, Rebecca, I want to get back to something you shared that uh, people find you, you're on their radar. Whenever you start speaking out, we have a public platform. We're doing God's work. We're speaking for life. Opposition is guaranteed. And you've been attacked by abortion advocates, which I'm sure didn't catch you by surprise. But I want to quote you in a recent tweet. I just want you to share some of the experiences you've had. Um, you say, valuing my life does not make me pro-rape. 
I was raped myself when I was in law school. My abuser broke my jaw and I lost my front tooth. Because of that, I'm a family law attorney and I've spent my entire adult life advocating for women who have been victims of violence. And the left sure doesn't like this kind of talk. Rebecca, can you just share to encourage women who do want to speak up but are afraid of being attacked, maybe like you have been? Oh, you know, over and over in the Bible, it's, it tells us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to speak up. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Um, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen to us? Some ridicule? You know, all I have to do is ban and delete. You know, that's it. I, <laughs> it from my page, on, face, on your regular, you know, Facebook profile, you just block and then delete their comments. You know, is that really so hard? It's like... What do you, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, there's children who are dying every day who are being killed. Innocent lives are at stake. And um, I feel like, you know, my life was saved from a burning building. I mean, my life was spared. I was protected. I wasn't lucky. I was protected. And everything since the time of my birth is bonus. Mm. It's all bonus, you know? So <laughs> I'm going to live my life to save others and to help others. Praise God for you, Rebecca. I now that you've uh, you've gotten a little emotional here, and and I wanted to ask you if you could share how much of a blessing it was when your mother. Well, I think you were on the phone with her, and she was just just crying, and she said, "I just want to say I'm so glad I had you." And that was on your birthday. She told you that, correct? Yeah, yeah, six years ago. Mm. When my grandmother died, and I flew home, and I mean, I was there for her, you know, the wake and the funeral and everything. And um, you know, our reality is, you know, this. I mean, she she's shared her story with me on national television, and I have her blessing in everything I do. But um, you know, when she introduced me to family members at the wake and at the funeral, she said, "This is my daughter, Rebecca." You know, the one from the rape. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, that's just our that's our reality. I mean, yes. Everybody knew and it's and then she says, Isn't she beautiful? She takes after me <laughs> <laughs> You know. Um, yeah. So, you know, things things change and we have a really, really close mother daughter relationship. Um actually my adoptive family was abusive and so at 41 years old, my birth mother and her husband legally adopted me, hmm. you know, like eight years ago. So I think we have a really close relationship. Wow. Um, and I love adoption. I have adopted children myself, but I, my situation was really bad, hmm. um, really bad. Uh, my adoptive family was, you know, Jewish, but secular and, and very abusive, They're, you know, pornography. It was, it's just a horrible situation. And my dad, like, was taking my kids to see his mistress who volunteers at Planned Parenthood, and she was oh. married with a teenage son. It was awful, wow. just awful. So I had to protect my children, so if anything happened to us. I know to, to some adoptive parents, like, it's horrifying to hear that I would do that, you know, but my situation was just really bad. Mm. I had to protect my children. Well, praise God for your testimony, Rebecca. Um, We've got a lot more with Rebecca Kiesling. You can go to savetheone.com, RebeccaKiesling.com, and we'll put it in today's podcast with the links. If you are still pro-life, except in cases of rape, we'll give you a lot more to think about coming right up.
If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to David Fiorazzo. We have a very special guest today. Blessed to have Rebecca Kiesling on the line with us from Lower Michigan. And uh, she wrote an article for SaveTheOne.com called Valuing My Life Does Not Make Me Pro-Rape. You hear that title and you might think, well, it's kind of common sense, but not when you're living it every day and you get the opposition that Rebecca has had. We hear people uh, oppose us for speaking the truth, sharing the gospel, doing other things. But when you are a product of rape and you've had to fight against these people who are very hateful and uh, critical, it's a different story. And, Rebecca, I want to share a quote that you, I think, shared from the Save the One. It says, Ever notice how abortion supporters use the term fetus for unborn child, yet always say rape baby or child of the rapist when speaking of one who's conceived in rape? Never rape fetus or fetus of the rapist. That kind of uh, escapes then. I don't think they uh, put two and two together there. Do you? No, I mean, it's kind of ironic that um, the only time they use the word child for an unborn child is when they're talking about the child conceived in rape. You know, so it's like strange that while insulting us, they're giving us the dignity of of acknowledging that we're actually a child. Mm. Uh, You were uh, sharing with us off air, I think it was when we were during the break that... um uh, your husband uh, asked you if you wanted to take down your Facebook page or just, uh, I, I think you can take a break from it for a while or whatever. And you said, well, why? I mean, the truth is, needs to get out there. People are always going to come against you. But I want you to share, if you feel comfortable with it, uh, the fact that your daughters have taken some of this, some of the insults as well. And do you think it's because they are living reminders to people that beauty can be produced and valued through the worst of circumstances? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because, um, you know, I, I have five children. And the fact is that pro-life women are sort of, you know, out-procreating pro-choice women. Um, although my two <laughs> oldest are adopted. But, you know, even having three biological children, I've, I've outpacing them in that respect and and clearly passing on my values as well. And I think they they don't like that. Um, They don't like to see that there's young women who are pro-life. They accuse me of brainwashing them and one day they'll grow up and realize. And I just had a conversation with my daughter who's almost 16 and she was saying that, uh, you know, she started having a discussion. A girl at her school started dating her on this and she said, in the end, the girl, like, started crying because the girl, like, realized mm. what she was saying. Praise God. This, so it sounds like your daughters are uh, very strong uh, culture warriors and uh, good spokeswomen for the pro-life movement, too, aren't they? Yeah, and my youngest, who's now almost 12, when she was six and a half, she asked me, um, Mommy, how do you spell the word conceived? And I thought, why are you holding so conceived? She said, I'm writing a book. It's a surprise. <laughs> Six <laughs> years old? Six and a half. Oh, my and goodness. My kids, you know, from a young age, they know what abortion is. They know that abortion kills unborn children. 
And I've had people criticize me, oh, how could they know? You know, it's not appropriate to talk about such things as as rape and abortion. Well, you know, if you're not teaching your children to keep their diaper on and, you know, to protect their privates, like, I mean, we put a word to it. Our kids know what rape is. Mm. Um, and, and all we're doing is equipping them, putting a word to it. But, you know, you have to teach them protect their privates from a very young age. And yes. if you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we, we show children the cross, explain, you know, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Well, that's a tough concept, but hopefully, you know, by the age of six, most Christian children have learned that. You know, and that's pretty graphic. Uh, so I don't know why I get criticized for telling my children what abortion is. Um, but here's what she wrote at six and a half years old. She, she wrote, conceived in rape is not bad because that's my mom. Rape is bad and abortion is bad because they both hurt people. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> why can't everybody just understand that? Out of the mouth of babes. Boy. I uh, let me you have let me have a moment here. <laughs> Stand up for the truth is what you're hearing. Uh, Rebecca Kiesling, K I E S S L I N G dot com. We posted her Facebook page on our on our on our Facebook page. Uh, Rebecca, I just saw an article. I believe it was yesterday, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but maybe I'll give you some time to think about Christian Ronaldo. I think is his name, greatest soccer yeah. player since Pele. Just came out and said he is a product of a botched abortion as well. Uh, he survived he actually, abortion. He started sharing that story many years ago. Okay, actually. I just saw it on Facebook yesterday. My son's a big yep. uh, Ronaldo fan. Yesterday he had his number seven jersey on. He's a big fan, and uh, my son is 11. I shared that with him uh, to pass along to his friends as well. Uh, so yeah. uh, what other people, uh, do you have any facts of other people that, that, that we look up to or celebrities or people like that that were uh, survivors of rape? Uh, or uh, or abortions. Yeah, on my website, I actually have a list of famous people conceived in rape, and um, Frederick Douglass, first of all, great American hero abolitionist. Wow. Like, How about that? Yeah, but like most black people in America today, I mean, you know, when they stopped the slave trade, and, and stopped allowing ships to bring slaves, the solution for these slave masters was to rape their slaves. Right. And that's how they continued, you know, having slaves. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, not only do a lot of black people have, you know, rapist genes, but so do white people whose ancestors were slave masters, you know? So every time you sit there and insult somebody like me and say you've got rapist genes, well, you know, a lot of Americans do. Uh, whether you're black or white, a lot of Americans do. And I think probably a lot of people in all of history do because there's been horrible instances of rape throughout history. Um, so, you know, it's like look in the mirror and, and, you know, does that make you any less human if you have a rapist genes in your genealogy? I mean, no, you know. Um, Jesse Jackson was conceived in rape. Uh, Thaddeus Bullard, he's... Um, Titus O'Neil in the World Wrestling Federation, and he's actually like a great humanitarian. He fed the homeless, rented a whole restaurant to feed the homeless after this like incident occurred, and just really great humanitarian. Um, and uh, Lane Beachley is that her name? She she was a 
five-time world, world champion surfer, um, and uh, there's a woman who just came out the other day, Kathy. Um, oh, I can't believe I can't think of her name right now, but she's on Fox News a lot. She does, she does a lot of commentary. She just came out the other day, Kathy Barnett. Mm. Um, she came out on Fox News. They published her story for the first time ever. Her mother was 12 years old. Um, just like Titus O'Neill, you know, like his mother was 12. Um, and then Ethel Waters, his eye on the sparrow, you know who that Ethel Waters is, a gospel singer. And she was in Gone with the Wind. And then, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, Eartha Kitt, who played Catwoman, she was mm-hmm. conceived in rape. Wow. Um, John Cox, he ran for president as a Republican in the past and then recently ran for governor of California. He was conceived in rape. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And Sherry Eldridge, famous adoption author, she wrote 20 Things Adopted Kids, which their adoptive parents knew. I'm Um, I'm sure there are a lot more. Those are posted on your website? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. My website. Rebecca, you wrote a very thought-provoking essay on uh, philosophical abortion, on that approach. It's called The Right of the Unborn Child, Not to be unjustly killed. Uh, very extensive, and I'm wondering if, if for radio, if there's a way that you might be able to share a couple of bullet points from that. I know it's it's extremely extensive, and people use it for research, and it comes up in search engines. Yeah. Um, it was ranked number one for, like, decades. I think it's probably number four right now for the <laughs> philosophical abortion essay. Wow. Um, I took all the top abortion philosophers from their argument and showed the error in their logic, and it's a very sound essay. But I, what I tell people is that, um, okay, the first day of law school, we learned something called IRAC, Issue, Rule, Application, Conclusion for Legal Research and Writing. You have to be able to state the issue, state the rule or the principle or the law, apply it to the people in your case at hand, and then conclude. You could be the greatest legal scholar and know all the um, uh, all the law that there is to know, but if you don't know how to apply it to the real people in your case in court, you will lose. And so I think it's great to be equipped with philosophical arguments, legal arguments, moral, um, science, biblical. That's great. But we cannot let people forget that we're talking about real people. And so we need to apply those principles to real stories. And that's what Christ did. He told stories. The Bible's full of stories. And we learn these principles. And we remember them through the stories. So, Rebecca, it's important to talk about defining terms. Personhood, human life, and you are a national spokeswoman for Personhood USA and I'm wondering, uh, can you share with us a little bit of that part yeah. of your work? Well, Personhood USA is really now defunct. It, it became Personhood Alliance, uh, essentially, like the affiliates all formed, the state affiliates um, joined to form Personhood Alliance. We were part of the founding members of Personhood Alliance, um, Save the One. Uh, and, we, you know, we still work closely with them, Um but, uh, yeah, I've, I was part of the first personhood effort. Mm. It was a petition drive in Michigan in 2006. Wow. And I'm, I'm very pro-personhood. The right to life 
comes from the 14th Amendment. I'm an attorney, so again, I'll get all legal on you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it comes from the, the 14th Amendment where it says that no state shall deprive a person of the right to life without due process of law. And then it also says that no state shall deny a person equal protection of the laws. And that's a reason why you can't have exceptions, because you're denying equal protection. And that is unconstitutional. The court pointed out in Roe v. Wade in footnote 54, in the personhood discussion, the fact that Texas had exceptions and exemptions, that that basically undermined the state's whole argument for personhood, because they said, basically, you hypocrites, you know, you don't really believe that's the person, as soon as you have exceptions. Rebecca Kiesling, Stand Up For The Truth. Rebecca, is it possible to be pro-life and for the death penalty? Do you have, do you have an opinion about that? Um, you know, I actually, I do, because I believe, you, you know, the Bible talks about the death penalty, okay? It, it definitely does. But in our society, I believe you cannot put a single in innocent person to death. And I believe that our beyond a reasonable doubt standard in criminal cases is a fiction because there's human error and we can't put a single innocent person to death. And there have been, as part of the death row project, I think it's called, you know, there have been hundreds of people on death row who have been later exonerated. And, um, would have been killed, could have been killed. There might be people who have been put to get death who are innocent. And so um, that's why I, I do not support the death penalty. I do support self-defense, hmm. uh, you know, using lethal force if you're presented with lethal force. Yes, yes, and then Wisconsin and Michigan and the, where, you know, people are gun owners for the, a lot of people, um, and many of us don't hunt. And uh, we might have guns in our home for those purposes. I, I want to talk about this issue. I'm glad Crash brought it up, and I, I appreciate your response on that, Rebecca. You recently posted something on your Facebook page, Rebecca Kiesling, pro-life speaker at USA Today. You said, I did not deserve the death penalty for the crime of the man who raped my birth mom. Abortion laws are not about personal responsibility, but humanity. And there's this article that you shared. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's funny. I didn't know where you were going with that. I thought you were going to bring up the post, the picture I recently posted of me shooting a gun and shooting oh. an arrow. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of threw me for a loop. I thought you were going to talk about that. Um, yeah, I, I was like really upset when I saw that because this guy who's like an editor, basically with the, a deputy editor with the USA, USA Today, he said that um, it's immoral to kill a child conceived in rape. And then he said, but. Like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's immoral, that? but. <laughs> and he acknowledges that you're killing, and he acknowledges that that's a child. So how can there be a but? And, and he said that the but, the sin doesn't fall on the, um, the rapist's other victim. He said the sin, the sin falls upon the shoulders of the rapist. Well, then why are you justifying killing the innocent child, you know, instead of him? And by the way, the U.S. Supreme Court said in Coker, Coker v. Georgia that rapists do not deserve the death penalty. And in a second case of Kennedy v. Louisiana, 
even for child molesters, it's cruel and unusual punishment. Mm -hmm. So how is it that the innocent child deserves the death penalty? And that's exactly what he's advocating for. Mm. Well, we appreciate your voice on this issue very much. One last question, Rebecca. Um, you've encouraged so many young women to, to give birth when they thought their only option was abortion, not only in cases of, of rape, but maybe just, uh, you know, crisis pregnancy. They're a teenager. Would you please give some advice to young Christian women or young women or girls maybe who have gone through the horror of rape and maybe are ashamed to say anything about it and maybe they've aborted their baby? Um, could mm. you give some encouragement to these women about their, their the forgiveness in Christ and just uh, how would you uh, just speak to them this morning? Yeah, I've actually had some of my dearest friends in life are post-abortive uh, and post-abortive from rape. We have you know, dozens of women that are part of our organization who are post-abortive from rape, and they're absolutely precious to me. Um, I've had women come up to me and confess their abortions to me through mm. tears wow. and then ask me, do you forgive me? And yeah, I'm just amazed how many times this has happened, and I tell them, like, I don't feel like, it's my place to judge, like, I don't condemn you, you know, but to the extent that you need to hear this, like, yes, yes, I forgive you. And then I share with them, you know, I ask, have you, do you believe in God? Do you believe God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins? And they, and, you know, they'll tell me, yes, I do. And, you know, I'll ask them, do you believe that God forgives you? Have you asked God to forgive you? Yes. Do you believe that God forgives you? And then, you know, they're kind of reluctant, but like, yeah, yeah. And, and so I explained what someone once told me, that when you fail to forgive yourself, that's like saying that what you have to say is more important and that what he did by sending his son to die on the cross wasn't good enough for you, mm. which is basically like saying that Christ died in vain. Mm. And and that's worse than whatever sin it is that you did in the first place. Um, and Scripture talks about that, you know. Uh, and so, but but I realized, though, that it's bigger than that. It's not just about whether God forgives them and whether they can forgive themselves. What they really want to know, I'm going to get emotional again, I always do. Mm. Um, they want to know, will my baby forgive me? Oh, Lord. Mm. And so I know that they're asking me because they see me as being like a surrogate, mm. as someone yes. who, you know, was almost aborted. Like, if I can forgive them, then, you know, maybe their baby will forgive them. And so... I tell them, you know, that we know that there's no more tears in heaven. Mm, you know, and in the presence of God, everything's different. Rebecca, and it says that, you know, we'll recognize each other. Mm -hmm. uh, one more thing. Um, for some uh, Christians, conservatives, Republicans, uh, independents, whatever um, their background is, who tend to lean pro-life, Who uh, one more thing I want to ask, what would you say to them who maybe have grown frustrated with the political prog process, the lack of progress in Washington, even during times when we've had majorities in Congress. But good laws are being passed all the time. What could you say to encourage people who are involved politically to stay active? Okay, first of all, I would encourage you to support, um, you know, local pregnancy resource centers and, um, you know, get involved in your 40 Days for Life campaign. Grassroots matters. Uh, we've seen big changes at the state level because it's grassroots. 
there's not accountability at the federal level. And I'm not just talking about for senators and congressmen, but I'm also talking about pro-life leaders Mm -hmm. in Washington, the major pro-life organizations. Um, There's just not the same accountability. And, uh, you know, I'm from Michigan where we've never had a rape exception and we're like a purple state, you know, we're at, you know, we're rust belt. So, Mm There's no reason to have exceptions, and White Flies in Michigan made a decision um, at their outset that they would not engage in child sacrifice. Uh, so make sure that you know the organizations that you support, whether they endorse rape exception candidates, because White Flies in Michigan won't, and whether they support rape exception legislation. That's important to know, because that policy makes a big difference. Our five-state study shows that the people who understand that abortion should be illegal are the ones who are no exceptions. When you can recognize the humanity of all children, you understand this is a human rights issue. And it's not just about saying, I don't like abortion, but it's about legal protection for the innocent. Um, And so that's why it's so important to only endorse rape exception politicians. Those are going to be the ones who are going to want to end abortion. The rest is just dabbling in mediocrity. Mm. It really is. And that's why things don't get done. Um, You can change a state by going to this different kind of policy. It's what happened in Georgia and many other states when they stopped endorsing rape exception candidates. They transformed their state. Mm. Uh, But, yeah, get involved. Be aware you know, find out what's actually in bills. Um, I'm excited to see what's happening at the state level in so many different states where they really transformed their state. You know, Missouri, Mississippi, Louisiana, um, and Alabama, and uh, Kentucky, Ohio. They all passed these laws with no exceptions. Uh, abortion bans, you know, without exception in in Georgia just recently because a new pro-life organization ousted Georgia Right to Life at uh, the federal level with National Right to Life. They took over because they wanted to be able to endorse rape exception candidates. And so Georgia Life Alliance kind of ruined things now in, in Georgia. And so now they actually have rape exception and other exceptions in the heartbeat bill. You know, which stinks, and it wow. just goes to show that leadership makes a difference. Yes. Yes, Rebecca Kiesling, thank you so much for being with us. We'll post links to your website and Facebook page in our podcast today. God bless you, Rebecca. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Thank you so much. All right. When we come back, Crash and I, I talk about a couple articles, some good news and uh, some advances for the pro-life movement. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to David Fiorazzo. What a powerful testimony and interview with Rebecca Kiesling. I encourage you to share this on your social media. And, um, you know, it's, it's just another perspective, and that's why we titled it um, Pro-Life Except in Cases of Rape. Think again. One more quote from her article at Save the One. Rebecca Kiesling says, look, you can be pro-soldier and not pro-war. You can be pro-firefighter and not pro-arson. You can be pro-law enforcement and not pro-crime. Even though it's true that without crime, there'd be no, no law enforcement, you can also be against IVF and against adultery, but support protecting the lives of unborn children conceived 
via those methods. And one bullet point from earlier in the interview today, don't punish the child for the sins of the father. Crash, I got choked up when I hearing her get choked up. I was getting Oh, uh, I I lost it. <laughs> I lost it on can't will my baby forgive me. Wow. Oh, Powerful. Okay, we have a couple. Are, there's a lot of good news coming out. Sometimes you just have to look for it. And this is a website called lifenews.com. A story just came out that says uh, Democrats failed to get enough votes to force Americans to fund abortions. And uh, so this is uh, a little good news. Um, and we can use all the good news we get. But uh, the Democrats were, were, for, were trying to vote to get American taxpayers to pay for abortion. But we do want to clar- clarify something. We are indirectly giving our money to Planned Parenthood. They are receiving federal funding to the tune of over $500 million a year. This, what they tried to do, is get uh, Medicare or Medicaid uh, to fund abortion. So that's what they failed to do here. Democrats failed to get enough votes for that. So I don't want to make it sound like, Hey, we're no longer uh, funding Planned Parenthood because we are, and there's that's very controversial because a lot of people. I think I read in one of these articles. There's a stat: seventy-five percent say they oppose taxpayer-funded abortions, and only nineteen percent support it. So let me ask you this: Why then are we still funding Planned Parenthood with taxpayer dollars? This is one of the reasons Rebecca said we must remain active on the pro-life front. One more time, 75%. I've heard um, a Marist poll came out a couple of years ago. It was 80%. But this says at least 75% of people say they oppose taxpayer-funded abortions. So we, we need to remember these things and keep fighting this because they, the Democrats, especially those who are so radically pro-abortion, they'll keep trying are you going to post this on the uh, blog uh yes in, today's in, blog in, post today's podcast because it yes. does call out uh the representatives that were uh, behind the measure okay oh, uh one of massachusetts i'm not surprised here california <laughs> washington colorado and illinois i mean no oh. su- there's no surprises yeah, there where's vermont new hampshire and oregon but what they're trying to do is they're oh, they're trying to override the hyde amendment which yep. now prohibits uh, taxpayer you. funding of, of Medicaid. Thank you. So there is an amendment for that right now. Yes, and they abolish the Hyde Amendment. Yeah, they, they want all the money that, that's possible that will go to abortion. And it is, you guys, it is this battle of life and death. It is a spiritual battle because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it sure is a battle. Well, the thing I don't understand death. about the Planned Parenthood site is there's some people that have pulled out funding them, some companies, and they still have the names on their website. And I don't know, I know why they can get it. Because uh, I'll, I'll, I might post something about XYZ company, and I can't think of any names. Is Starbucks. On the, on the plant, well, no, ones that have pulled out. Oh, they've stopped. Yeah, I can't think of any. But I'll, I'll, I think Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola one. might have been. Uh, I'll, let's just say for this conversation, Coca-Cola. Somebody says, don't drink Coca-Cola. They support Planned Parenthood. And then you'll see that's not true anymore. But if you go back to the website. Planned Parenthood, for some reason, oh. you didn't take that off your website yet. And Maybe so. they're getting money indirectly. Um, one more story real quick because we only have a, a couple minutes to go. Um, this is kind of neat. The American Medical Association voted to retain their longstanding opposition to assisted suicide. So we this show today is about this battle for life um, from the womb to the tomb, 
as some might say. So the AMA is still against assisted suicide, but yet there are at least five, maybe six, seven states now in America that have laws on the books that it is legal, allowed to uh, kill somebody. Assisted suicide is legal. Crash, do you have any thoughts on this angle of this uh, life debate? Well, I'm reading uh, the... uh, I'm still on that death penalty, uh, uh, what she was saying about that. Uh, But I'm sticking with this article. Uh, (laughs) The vote was 65 to 35 at the AMA on this this issue. Uh, But for some reason, does that mean if I... I'm a doctor, and I'm okay with assisted suicide. That they're going to kick me out of the AMA, or I mean, I don't think so. I think this they they just have to have a majority continue their long-standing support of this policy. They are against assisted suicide. I understand why. I mean, their their oath they take an oath to do no harm. How can they? Oh, I guess well, some forget of them. that. Yeah, no. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can say that, but uh, anyway. Um, back to uh, Rebecca Kiesling. Yeah. Uh, so many things were running through my mind. I think about uh, uh, Ray Comfort when he says, uh, there's no such thing as an innocent child. Biblically, David said, uh, King David said, I was conceived in the womb in sin. We are yeah. all born sinful, right, with a sin so, nature. You know, and I, and I don't want to start this long rabbit trail debate but it's just one of those things where uh, when she's talking about the death penalty because some of the uh, arguments i heard about christians are hypocrites because we are pro-life but we support the death penalty and in my arguments when one's innocent and one's guilty Interesting. but yeah. i mean like ray comfort says and, and i think he's scriptural when he says there are no such there's no innocent there's no one innocent well jesus and, christ was the only perfect right man that lived with no sin he's god of so course. i'm i don't know if i'm interested a, a, a conundrum or anything <laughs> like that but i mean the but what i believe this is all about is the babies cannot protect themselves in the womb they cannot protect them. i mean mm-hmm. you're at the mercy of yeah. the mom and it is a person that's why the personhood amendment is so important. It is a person, not just a, quote, fetus. And uh, there's so many other issues that, that they feel pain in the womb. The heartbeat starts between six and eight weeks. It's just an amazing thing that we need to remember to put these facts out there, along with the biblical perspective, uh, God's value of every human life. He says in Psalm 139:16, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before I was even When we come back, we'll wrap up today's show and let you know who's our guest tomorrow. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's David Fiorazzo. And they say uh, my name because Mike has taken a breather. He just needs the rest have you seen the bags under his I eyes just lately? I he overslept. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he, he's uh, he's taking a break, some time off with his, uh, as he puts it, his lovely bride. Um, tomorrow, though, another special guest, first-time guest, two days in a row, um, Anna Kitko. She's with Ratio Christi Ministries, and uh, she does a, a lot of work, of course, in, in apologetics. But she's also been writing a lot on the Gay Pride Month, and that's, of course, June. Some people celebrate gay pride. So she's got apologetics plus the angle on how can we defend that when there's so much celebration and pride when it comes to uh, the LGBTQ. So we'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow as well. Anna 
Kitco with Rachio Christie. Crash Connell, David Fiorazzo. Uh, we are so blessed to be able to bring you this program Monday through Friday. We thank you so much for sharing the podcast, and we really appreciate you tuning in. God bless you, and we'll hear you or see you tomorrow.